So this court saying for the first time ever that employers who discriminate against individuals simply for their sexual orientation or for their transgender status are in fact violating the law. This was a ramp that was, uh, you know, had no steps, no handrail. The president had on leather shoes. Of course, he's going to take his time and go down and make I got sure it. that Nobody he wants to fall Could down on, on, in front yeah. of cameras. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. As always, I am Nick Houselman, joined by Jared Yates Sexton. And we have another hopeful podcast for you guys. It's uh, the third one in a row, I believe, uh, Jared. And uh, it's kind of hard to believe after the, the morass we've had to draw pull ourselves through the last 50 episodes before this. <laughs> you, you make it sound like the people listening who haven't heard the past episodes should not go back and listen to those past episodes. It sounds like it's some sort of slog or something. But well, we, we've you know. been living in rough times. We've right. been living in rough times. And, you know, a moment like today, uh, and of course what Nick is talking about, is a... Uh, historic and uh, long overdue uh, ruling by the Supreme Court of the United States, ruling that uh, LGBTQ Americans are protected in their employment and shouldn't be discriminated against, um, is, is not only welcome, but I, I, I would argue is just momentous and, and amazing good news. Absolutely, but it also is stupid that we actually have to waste the Supreme Court's time to make this clear to employers that you can't fire them if they're gay. Like, that is what's so ridiculous in 2020 that we have to actually legislate that. And I will say, when you read the opinions, and it's like hundreds of pages of the dissent um, from, the, from the Supreme Court, like, so the general gist I was taking away from it was that they kind of felt like it should never, this is not what they are supposed to decide. And that's why they were dissenting. And, and, I, and I felt like even Kavanaugh had, had you know, paid lip service to the notion that this is a monumentous thing. And it's important to protect these people's rights. But it just simply shouldn't be in front of the Supreme Court to decide. It should be for Congress. And that's what they were saying. And I'm waiting for you to now detonate <laughs> all over me. No, I, I just, I, first of all, anytime that anybody wants to talk sense about Brett Kavanaugh, my skin just sort of recoils and, you know, my, my soul wants to leave my body. Um, you know, th this is a situation. <laughs> I I, I, I want to say a couple things because we're going to go a little bit deep on the Supreme Court and uh, the way that the nation's judiciary has been rigged by the right wing in America. But before we do, first of all, I, I, I got to give um, credit where credit is due. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts, who continues to show himself to be um, uh, not necessarily an impartial juror, but as close to impartial as you can possibly be. Like if, the, if we lived in a sane America, Justice Roberts is the kind of Republican we would be having arguments with about, you know, the scale and scope of law and taxes and stuff instead of Trumpism and fascism. Um, of course, Gorsuch weighed in on this thing. So it's, it's a very hopeful moment in that regard. But we can't let this moment, plus also the maelstrom of insanity that goes on in this country, to hide the fact that this should have happened a long time ago. I mean, th this should have been done. This should have been sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. But we also have to take a moment to point out that the reason why it hasn't been is the same reason why women aren't given protection under the law and aren't guaranteed equality. And that is because the right wing in this country has been engaged in an excessively organized and successful 
fight against equality on all grounds. And, and they do it to protect white patriarchal supremacy and uh, heteronormative supremacy. Let's throw that on there. And oh. they have succeeded. They really have. And, and it's, it's watching these things fall brick by brick. And I, I, I want to point out, um, it feels like the day that, you know, gay marriage got approved. Do you remember that? It felt like a miracle. It was like, I can't believe I live in a country suddenly that, that, that allows this. And that's part of like what I would call left-wing melancholia, this idea that progress can't happen in this country. But what we've definitely been seeing over the past couple of weeks, progress is possible once people realize their power and once they fight for it. I mean, we can't talk about this thing without saying that, I mean, my God, how many people had to fight to get this done? You know, this is a mm -hmm. tremendous, tremendous victory. Well, what's what's interesting about the Supreme Court and how this usually plays out in the past has been that the the judges that we all think are going to be really uh, conservative tend to start to skew. Well, I don't even want to say liberal, but sort of more uh, practical, I suppose. So, uh, Joseph, uh, sorry, uh, Justice Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, was appointed by Ronald Reagan and ended up being one of the guys who always sided with the quote unquote like liberals on the court after enough time. And I feel like Gorsuch is could, 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 seems to be moving in that direction too. And I don't think it's moving in that direction. I think if you're smart enough to be nominated to the Supreme Court, uh, Kavanaugh aside, uh, I think that there is this notion, except for these other assholes on the other side, like Alito and um, and and um, uh, Clarence Thomas. Uh, when you when you actually have that kind of ability to analyze and be that smart, it, it kind of makes sense to me that yes, they're going to move into a direction that's progressive, right? And then the, if it's progressive, then it usually sides on the side of liberalism, if if you will. So this isn't necessarily surprising, but I do feel like it's stirring up the right because they thought they were going to have Trump in their pocket and they're going to be able to install all these judges and control everything. In reality, we've seen this time and time again where they're not as conservative as you think they are. So one of the things that's happening here, and and you know, I we could go rounds for hours about whether or not Supreme Court justices should have a lifetime appointment, but I will tell you one of the benefits of that is that the modern Republican dysfunction, the Republican Party's disease, which is trending towards fascism at alarming rates, a lot of it has to do with economic incentive and political incentive. Right. So mm -hmm. like the Republican Party has gone further and further right because there is a market for this thing. It's been there since the 80s and the 90s and has only grown with Fox News as you want to sell books. Right. You want to go out and you want to be a Rush Limbaugh type bomb thrower. But also the Republican Party, and we've talked about this before, sort of cannibalized itself. Fox News pushed Republicans right and then that created the Tea Party and then they had to absorb the Tea Party and move further right and then Donald Trump and they had to move further right until they're just off the radar insane. The people who are on this court don't have to pander like that, right? Unless they are a tried and true, just cruel asshole and we're going to get into who those people are and why they're where they are. They don't have to play that game, right? Because they know that their legacies are going to be judged and they understand the law. Um, but we do have to talk about, like Kennedy, and one of the reasons why we're in the situation we are. And, and this is um, a little bit of a catch-up lesson for some people who might not understand this. If you want to know what's happened in the Supreme Court and what's happening in America, and one of the reasons we got Donald Trump and the Republican Party is the way that it is, you have to understand the Federalist Society. 
which is a group that got founded in the early 1980s at Yale and the University of Chicago. This is a group of people who decided that they were going to push American uh, law in not just a conservative direction, but like an extremely conservative direction, right? And they started pushing this idea of originalism. Um, I'm sure some of you still wake up screaming, sweating in the middle of the night thinking about Antonin Scalia. And, you know, th that, that's, that's what that monster was about. It's the idea that the Constitution is not a living document. It should still be treated the way that it was, which is actually bullshit because you can't. You can't treat the Constitution like it was written at the moment because it was written in the 18th century by slaveholding elites, you know. And, and this whole argument that you have to, it just goes to all that we keep talking about, which is malleability of power, which is what these people were about. And they were willing to support anybody at any given time as long as it meant power. The, the, the notion that you would treat the Constitution as a dead document is political, it makes it political because then it, you, what the Supreme Court justices can do is what the Republicans can do, which is simply what you said, malleable, uh, have a very malleable sense of like what their uh, ideology is. They can decide at any moment, at any time, how they want to try and manipulate this notion to fit their preconceived notions of like politically how they want this case to go. That's the problem with it. And we see this in religion as well, where you have people who want to cite the Bible and try and live their life like what the Bible outlines, which is what the justification is for saying that, you know, uh, homosexuality is wrong and we need to outlaw that and all these kind of things. And yet they'll also be able to manipulate it to in, in their favor when they want something that they want. So it, that's the problem with this. It's just manipulated into however they want to adjust this based on their political views. And when you're that extreme and you're sitting on the Supreme Court and you have a lifetime appointment, this is where we get so uh, concerned. And obviously, we're really looking at this through the lens of Roe v. Wade, right? I don't really know if anyone else is talking about I mean, I know that this was very important to get this, this, this settled uh, as far as right, rights in the workplace. But... Uh, we're really looking at this. How is this going to affect the judging when when Roe v. Wade comes back up and they're going to try and reverse this, which is really what this whole thing has been about, certainly since the mid-2000s, right? I mean, even before then. I mean, from the moment that Roe v. Wade was uh, decided, uh, it took a couple of years, but it eventually became a political cudgel because they understood that this was a way that they could appeal to evangelicals to shore up their base. Real fast, I want to go way, way back to the founding of the country when the Constitution was ratified. Um, I always like to tell people this because people don't know it. It's not taught to us, which is the Constitution, um, technically the people who made it, they weren't even supposed to make a Constitution. They were actually in Philadelphia to revise the Articles of Confederation. It just so happens that James Madison, who, by the way, uh, his silhouette is the figurehead of the Federalist Society, right? James Madison hangs out before everybody, sketches out a new constitution, a new government, and everyone gets there and they're like, are we going to do some work? And he's like, I already did it. Let's vote on it. And everyone's like, we don't have authority. And he's like, ah, who cares? So eventually what ends up happening when the constitution gets passed is you start having a group, the Federalist, right? Like James Madison and all the people. Um, so you eventually have John Adams, who becomes a Federalist president. John Adams was a crazy loon. And if you and this is why this stuff isn't taught in American history. It's why American history jumps from the founding to, I don't know, like the Louisiana Purchase, right? It just jumps right over this period. 
Because John Adams basically takes a hatchet to the Constitution. He starts taking away people's constitutional rights. He starts booting them out of the country. And the Federalists actually become defined by their fear of the other and a fear of loss of power. So what you have at uh, in the election of 1800, they call it the Revolution of 1800. It's where Thomas Jefferson wins, right? And the Democratic-Republican Republicans take over from the Federalists. And, you know, Jefferson's like, these people are power mad, these Federalists, right? And they need to go away. They need to be done with because they are dangerous to the American experiment. And one of the major defining problems with America is the fight between Jeffersonian democracy and the Federalist, right? And we don't talk about that because those two things are kind of incompatible. So you take Jefferson or the idea of freedom or democracy. He always said that like the Constitution should be amended constantly or there should be revolutions all the time. The Federalists wanted to hold on to their power. In fact, quick little note just for trivia, the Supreme Court wasn't even supposed to like decide whether or not constitutional, uh, whether or not laws were constitutional. That actually came about in 1803 because of John Marshall, who was Jefferson's second cousin, who hated the shit out of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> and as a part of the Federalist, they wanted to rein him in. And they wanted to make the government as a way to trap him, which if you followed any Democratic administration over the past few years, you understand. But this is the long and weird history of not just the Federalist Society, but the Republican Party and American history, which is, it's about people who have power, who want to keep power, and they'll do whatever they can to maintain it, which is what the Federalist Society and what the Republican Party is defined by. Well, are we, okay, we, should we wrap up now? <laughs> well, well, I just, I, I, I want to throw one quick thing out here, and this is this is unfortunately something I don't think people understand. Um, the Federalist Society is not just a group of like legal people. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's more or less like a secret organization that isn't so secret that goes in and tells Republican presidents what to do. Like it's not like Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush or you know Donald Trump particularly had any sort of idea about what they cared about. You know they they might have like a, a weird little grasp on like you know legal stuff, but like groups like them and the Heritage Foundation, whenever like Reagan or Bush or Trump got elected, they came in. They're like, here's your operating manual. Here's how you right. run the government. Just go out there and shake people's hands. And that's how we got here. And if anybody has maybe you don't follow the right people, the Federalist Society people today and this is a reason for hope nick they're pissed they are pissed off because roberts who is a republican nominee and gorsuch who is a republican nominee went against this thing and they their masks have fallen off they want a theocratic christian conservative america and that was dealt a major blow today and they have all i mean if you pay attention to the right people they're like, why in the hell did we ever support Donald Trump? Because that's the one reason these people supported him. We'll get judges. Well, they got judges. And yeah. look what happened. Well, but then let's just point that out. Like you said, it's their judge. Donald Trump has no conception about what a judge is, no. who they are. Never even cared. He's like, when can I get my money? Okay, when can I start doing all the graft? He's like, okay. When do I get to get behind the wheel of a truck? Yeah, I want to get in front of the, in the fire truck, in front of the, on the lawn. So, um... So that's the thing is they can't be mad at Trump because they're the ones who picked it. And he's the guy who's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, let's, let's nominate him. Well, no problem. That's, that's what's horrible about this whole thing is that uh, it's not even horrible. That's what's so dumb about the Federal Society in, in general is that they don't even understand that they created this. 
and it's just it's just frustrating because I can remember in the mid two thousands, like during the you know the Iraq War stuff, where that you know the the drum beat got louder for like these auto control judges. You know, they're, they're, they're legislating from the bench. That was like the big, you know, phrases that you were hearing from the right and how they were so determined. There was books being written about it and just demanding. And, you know, this is the beginning of where we got to where McConnell, you know, I think it's his proudest achievement is that he's going to have, you know, whatever. And by the way, Trump keeps lying about the number of federal judges he appoints. He appoints. It's way off. It's like, I think it's 200. And he keeps saying 300 or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And it's like... If we're not careful, though, he's going to get another bunch in there. And if he, if he wins, he will get to 300, no problem. And which, by the way, maybe that makes me nervous. Does he think that he's going to win again and get another four years, get another 100 judges in there? Is that why he's already talking they, that way? They are. Well, it, it's the one appeal that he has. He can't handle a pandemic. He can't handle an economy. Get me back and I'll get more judges. And, and this is a warning that I want to throw out. And again, this is a podcast of hard truths. Democrats and liberals have sort of given up a lot of the organization territory that Republicans have won. Because what you just said is right. Not only do they have control of the Supreme Court, theoretically, they have, they have the, the federal judiciary. They have all these state you know, positions. They have done that work. And, and I don't know about you, Nick. Like, I don't want to dedicate my life to judges. I don't want to dedicate my... Uh, otherwise, I would have been a lawyer, you know. But... Mm -hmm. Like I keep saying in this podcast, if you if and people keep asking us, like, what can we do? Well, I keep talking about grassroots, bottom up, over top down. You have to stop worrying about just the presidency and senatorial races and congressional races. You have to start working on the local level. You got to run for stuff. You got to work local to get local people uh, uh, elected. And on top of that, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a liberal. You can be a Republican or a conservative. You have to take that party back over. You have to complain. If, if you don't want to burn it to the ground and start over, you have to reform it from the bottom up because that is a sick fascistic party. So if you care about this stuff and you care about like if you want to have wins like today, you have to go out and organize on the same level that these people have been because these people are the ones who are working while you're asleep. You know what I mean? They're the ones with the connections. They're the ones with the deep pockets. They're the ones who are working and, and you know, running around the world making this stuff happen. And meanwhile, while the rest of us are just like, I don't know, I don't know anything about this judge I'm voting for or whatever, that's like real stuff. That like determines life and death. It determines, uh, you know, if you want to talk about law enforcement and stuff, the judicial system is just as rotten to the core. And it's because we've conceded so much of it to the Republican Party and the people who understand that's where real power comes from. It's been their power base for decades now. Yeah. And we also keep seeing that the, the Trump is, is uh, nominating judges who aren't qualified. Their rating. I mean, again, the rating from the bar association apparently doesn't hold much water these days, anyway. But oh, they don't care. Know, yeah, you know. But you like to think, and I think that's what we need to do at some point. Well, you know, if we ever do our homework uh, podcast episode where we discuss what needs to absolutely change, I don't even. I don't like the way um, we appoint our Supreme Court justices now, anyway. I just feel like it's it's too much of the power of the president. Uh, to simply pick somebody, we need to have some other method, at least before he does that, to get them to that level where they are qualified. I'm, I, Kavanaugh wasn't qualified. I don't think he was rated highly, very highly at all, from the bar at least. Um, and I, it would be nice to figure out a better way that's a little bit more democratic than what they have now considering they are weighing in on so many laws now and changing things. And by the way, thank God that they do. 
because if these other uh, the, the the right wing or the whatever you want to call them conservative judges had their way, then you know we probably wouldn't have had integration in schools, right? They would have said, no, this is not for us to decide. Oh, wait a minute. Am I going crazy? The Supreme Court had to decide that, right? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, and then Kennedy sent him, sent him in, right? Remind me now. My, my, my mind is going crazy. No, it was – no, they, they held up segregation and they held up unequal rights for over and over and over again until they eventually didn't. And they eventually ordered you know, the states to desegregate and the schools to come together and that separate – and separate was never unequal or separate was never equal. Right. And you're exactly right. That would never happen now. And I, I, what you just said about Kavanaugh and the Bar Association, which if you really want to talk about the Federalist Society, this is how gross of a group they are. Right. They have basically said, oh, we reject the bar, the bar. Right. Which is kind of like rejecting, I don't know, Fauci or the WHO or any of these mm-hmm. groups. Right. We reject your reality. You're in your you're not impartial, you are fake news, right? Which is just a continuation of the modern problem. Uh, meanwhile, what kept Kavanaugh, what kept his nomination going? It was a handful of Republican senators who knew full and well that he was a sexual predator and a disgusting human being and shouldn't be on the court. But what were they afraid of? They were afraid of not getting reelected. They were afraid of being primaried. They were afraid of their fundraising drying up. Or they were afraid of the president of the United States, Donald Trump, a fascist, putting the full spotlight of the eye of Sauron on them and their, their safety and you know their way of life being destroyed. And that's the problem because what you just said, it kind of gets boiled down to this. What we're talking about right now is a really sick system. The American political system is really sick. And, and, you know, coronavirus is just making it obvious. Um, you know, this is a hopeful episode. We're trying to maintain it. Uh, coronavirus is growing. And basically everyone's just throwing up their hands. They're like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Our government doesn't work. It's, it's, it's been rendered completely impotent and it's been bought and sold. So what we're seeing right now is that government doesn't really work. It's a really sick, infected body. And... Whether or not we need to change it based on, I don't know, term limits or whether or not the president should be nominating them or how many votes should have to do it or whatever, that's a that's a different story altogether. But it's just sick. The, the body as it is has been pushed to the point where it goes back to the common denominator we're always talking about, which is you can't have shared society and shared governance if you don't have shared reality and if everybody isn't playing by the rules. And, if, and, and that goes to like McConnell. I mean, there's no reason why Mary Garland is not on the Supreme Court right now, except for McConnell was just like, well, what are rules? Right. Right? What what are rules? But that's the key thing, I think, where the progressives on the court have to take in consideration that you're right. It's a complete it's frozen. Congress will not get anything done. McConnell will not take any bills. How many bills they sent over to trying to become hundreds? And so you have to imagine that Sotomayor and all the other judges are like realizing this. This is why they have to do this, because they, they see nothing is going to get done in the Congress anyway. They, somebody has to step in here and do something. It does. I'm glad that you brought up uh, Merrick Garland, only because it's been gnawing at me that somehow McConnell had enough foresight back in around this time in 2016 to not go through with the process and wanting to wait. At that time, though, it was so clear that Hillary Clinton was going to win. It was kind of dumb. And I think, I think that's why everyone sort of shrugged because they were like, eh, all right, well, the Hillary will just, will just put him up and he'll get nominated instead. How did he know? How, you know, I mean, you could just tell me, oh, just part of the gridlock. He's just going to try and delay as much as he can just for whatever. 
But I don't know, man. It, it, it always rang strange to me that he somehow, you know, knew that they were going to be able to take that election. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to get into the weeds on any kind of conspiracy, but it just seems strange to me. And I'm wondering if there are some, there's evidence now about what they're talking about that indicates that they think that Trump's going to win again in the same kind of way. Well, you know, I, I've been thinking about McConnell and institutional Republicans, you know, your, your Paul Ryans. I think with Trump, I, I, I think at least Paul Ryan assumed he was going to lose. Right. Well, how Mitch McConnell felt, I mean, he holds his cards so close to his chest. We have no idea. But I think for a lot of these people, they saw Trump as, you know, it's like putting on a, I think, wait, I think a jacket. He his, I think he holds his chin really close to his chest. I think, I think he holds everything. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's like putting on a jacket that you haven't worn since the year before. And you find, you find like a $5 bill in it. You know, it's found money is what Trump was. And I think for a lot of them, that's how it worked. In this case... And, and here's where we go from hope to hope to caution. Um, we The numbers look really good right now. They look really good. Biden oh, is Biden? up yeah. in most swing states. I mean, you have, um, God, I think I saw the other day that Arkansas is considered a toss-up right now. Um, he, in, in like generic swing state ballots, he's up 14, right? Um, it's also still June, June 15th, according to my calendar, but what is time? Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows where this thing's going to go? Who knows what all is going to happen? And, and, and this is where the caution comes in. Uh, today's a big win. Today's a huge, huge victory. And, and I have to tell you again, I've said on this podcast, American politics, particularly for a progressive or a liberal or somebody who wants progress or liberalism, it is a heartbreaking endeavor. So enjoy the wins where you can get them. But we're not good at processing wins. Right. We, 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 we have a tendency sometimes to take our eyes off the ball. It's not the time. We have a movement that's developing. We have a fascistic president who, if he gets in again, it's not just the judiciary. It's the rule of law in general. Um, so that's the caution. This is a big win. This is a thing to celebrate. But it's, it's not over. Not even, not even by a long shot. So this is all sort of making me think about what we're doing with these protests, because it's really strange, the idea that we're protesting against an entity that is directly on the ground at the protests who are supposed to keep the peace and keep these people safe. And it's, a, it's not often that we see that like that. You know, if you want to see protests against, you know, Trump in front of the White House and the cops are on the periphery and they're just keeping the peace. But this is in your face at the cops themselves. And I think it's stirring up a lot of these issues that we're seeing uh, that, that do tend to talk about power and who has power and how we're supposed to handle these things. And uh, on Twitter, that long thread of examples of uh, hostility and uh, overstepping their bounds with the cops and being way too aggressive and, and violent with, people, with uh, citizens, that, that thread is over like 500 tweets now, when it was like a couple hundred when we talked like a week ago. And that's what's so concerning to me about this is that it's like it's, that's getting out of control as we progress into the summer where we're going to see a lot more of these protests. We... Um so again, like the, the, the main narrative that we're given is that this is about George Floyd's murder. Um, but actually, who can actually keep track of uh, how many murders there's been since then? Or how many assaults there have been since then? It's, it's an almost impossible thing. And, you know, everyone tried, and I talked about it on here too, everyone tried to be like, okay, well, we had this uprising and now it's George Floyd's funeral and now we're done. 
right? That's how the, the media tried to play it, like the, the normal sort of narrative that it is. Meanwhile, the other night I turn on, and I, I live in Georgia, down the street, an exit I pass all the time, a Wendy's is on fire because Rayshard Brooks was murdered there, um, and, and, and just a senseless murder, uh, a stupid murder, and all of a sudden, it becomes very, very clear to anybody that it shouldn't be. I mean, it's like it's 75 to 80% of Americans now get it. This this group is supposed to be, we treat cops like they're like a priest class, right? Like the moment that you become a cop, you are dedicated to law and order, Nick. And like you are no longer a human. You are a tool of law and order. And that is the only thing you're dedicated to. But it's not. A lot of these people go into law enforcement because they want to be oppressors. They want to be punishers, right? Mm-hmm. They want to go out and put people in their place. And, and here's the thing. This isn't new. America was founded on this concept. Again, one of the reasons why James Madison was there creating the Constitution in the convention hall was because the Articles of Confederation weren't putting down rebellions, right, of poor people, of oppressed people. And they needed an agreement between the North and the South on slaves and on white supremacy. That's why that document got created. From the very founding of America, this has been the truth. This isn't just about a murder. It's about oppression. And and it's about... It's about reaching a fever pitch. Like, there's a point, I mean, I've quoted it a couple times on here. You know, there's the old poem. It's like, there's some shit I will not eat. And people aren't going to eat it anymore. They're not going to just sit by and and let this be idle. And and unfortunately, we are going to see more of this stuff because they can't help themselves. The eyes of the world were on American police when they killed a person. You know what I mean? Like they couldn't even, they just couldn't even help it, but, but to unnecessarily kill this person. And, and unfortunately we're going to see more of it. And as this, uh, as this campaign heats up, there's going to be a lot more tension and, and God, I hope there's not going to be more bloodshed, but it feels, it feels almost inevitable. Who, who okay. knows what it's going to be? A couple of things. I mean, first the, uh, the video came out, someone had a cell phone video and then also they had the, 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 isn't it convenient that the body cams both fall off? in the struggle, so you don't really see what, you know, the more, most important part of this. And then they don't really show it in the, in the, uh, in the cell phone camera either exactly what happens. But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, it doesn't need to be said. They, they had his license. They had his car. He runs away. They just go get him. It's not a problem. They, they can't just shoot him in the leg, I guess. And this is all part of the training that they need to be, re, you know, t- tore down. Uh, they had, you know, a long conversation that was very calm, before leading up to this where you know he was drunk and he pulled the car over because he knew he couldn't operate the car and uh, and then to watch them you know browbeat him into getting a, a blowing a, you know doing the uh, sobriety test in the field which he could have denied uh, and then you know the way they kind of quickly try and grab him and, and, and arrest him without explaining anything it's just wrong it's all bad and you have to imagine that someone's going to watch that from the police department and say no that's exactly how we train them and they, they're fine so I, I've written about this, but I haven't talked about it on the podcast. So I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll say it here. Uh, when I was 24, 25, and I was in graduate school, um, I, I was in a really bad way, like a terrible, terrible way in my life. And I, I was having an existential crisis and a personal meltdown. And one night I had way too much to drink and I was driving home from a bar and I got pulled over by a cop. I got caught dead to rights, drinking and driving. And it could have ruined my entire life. And let me tell you what happened. That cop came up to my car and asked me to come back to his cruiser and sit and talk with him for a while. 
I went into the front seat of the cruiser and talked with the cop for a couple of hours and sobered up. And then he reminded me that I had a lot to lose and I had a bright future ahead of me. And then he followed me home to make sure that I got home safely. Wow. Now, now here's the thing. No molesting That is white privilege. That is white privilege. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That is, that is, that is the, and by the way, it is such a weird thing to talk about because on one hand, that person took mercy on me and that affected my entire life, right? I would never drink and drive again. That's it. They, and right then, all of a sudden, my life started getting better and more in focus. So that was a mercy. But also, that's white privilege defined. That would not have happened if I was a young African-American man. Like, this person, and I watch it, and, you know, people, God, it's what Fox News makes all their money doing. They're like, well, he shot a taser at it. It's a taser. He, he actually didn't even, like, fire it at them. It wasn't like he was going to hit them. He just fired it wildly as he ran away. He lives in an America where he sees black men murdered. So he tried to get away, you know? That's not how policing should work. That's not how America should work. And it is... It is as clear cut and obvious that this is wrong. And we all have to start looking at our own privilege and we all have to start understanding with some empathy and we have to get creative. We have to understand that's not the way policing should work and that's not the way society should work. Let me ask you this. Why didn't the Tamir Rice murder spark the kind of riots or the kind of protesting we see now? Why, why do you think that that one, because if we don't remember, it's a kid on a, on a playground Cops pull up, and we have it on video, just like we have, you know, the other stuff. They, they, they literally, I mean, it wasn't 10 seconds, right? Pull out, shoot him. Boom. Dead. Why, why do you think that that was? <laughs> you know, I, 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 there's, there's a whole host of things. I mean, that's the other thing. We can't actually even talk about this out in public or on the news because it feels like it's, it feels like it's not proper but this would not have happened if it wasn't during the presidency of Donald Trump, if it wasn't happening in the age of social media, particularly where it is right now, or during a pandemic. You know, the United States government failed, every, is still failing everyone, and is aggressively failing everyone. We're all pissed off about it. Injustice is obvious. Donald Trump is a racist asshole who can't help but spew white supremacist propaganda every time he opens his mouth. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, but all this stuff... I, there were days there where you couldn't get away from George Floyd's murder. You just couldn't. And it, 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 why wouldn't it piss you off? Why wouldn't it want to make you get out there? But yeah, the timing, unfortunately, was right. And America works and fits and starts with movements and protests. And this one just ended up, it was all these different things coming together. I mean, I think that is a lot of it. But I also do feel like leadership is a really important part of mm -hmm. all of this. Who was in charge? You know, this was 2014 when Tamir Rice was shot and killed uh, under Obama. And um, we now have so, – so I think that what that says is based on what we're, the reaction we have today in this past couple of weeks, that so much of this is against Trump. You know what I mean? Yeah. So much of the, of the foundation of this is, is fueled against what he has done and what people are recognizing he has, he has made normal. And you pointed out on your Twitter feed every day in, in threads on how, how deeply rooted what he is doing and how it signals people and how it's changed. And certainly the black population in the country, in this country, sees it clear as day and understand how powerful that is and why we need to do something to stop this now. So I feel like that's really the reason. And um, it's, it's really... Um, heartening that gives us hope right this is where we are because at least we now have a movement 
that can rally behind Biden and just to get him out, plus the never Trumpers who also want to be part of this to some degree. Um, but it also makes me wonder, you know, I, I can't, I, I wake up every day just thanking God that we haven't had an international incident we've really had to deal with yet and hopefully we'll make it till November without having to deal with you know I'm talking about like a provocation from North Korea or anything in Iran uh, and they tried a little bit but uh, that you know can you imagine what would happen based on how he responds to what we've already had here that's you know it's been already so terrible that that's what makes keeps me up at night you know I've been doing research right now on um, on a project and one of the things I've been having to do recently is um, really research um, the rise of far-right white supremacist terrorist groups around the world and movements, you know, uh, Trumpism, what's happening in Brazil, what's happened in Hungary, obviously what's happened in Russia. Um, this is a situation where right now there is a far-right white supremacist president, and if it continues to look like he could possibly lose in November, um, you know, when, when the stars are aligned and when you have a worldwide movement and alignment like that, a lot of the times if they think that they're going to lose power, they'll do something. And that's whether or not it's, you know, creating a crisis or capitalizing on a crisis or forming some sort of, I don't know, an axis. You know, it happens. I'm worried about that. Um, and I will say, just to bring this back to hope and again, back to a word of caution, um, the hope here is that Donald Trump kind of drug white supremacy in America's uh, problems out in the open. You know what I mean? Like just him being president and being so obviously incompetent and terrible has made all this stuff very evident and very easy to grasp and understand. Yeah. If he gets beaten in November, that doesn't mean this is over. And I'm sorry. It, it just it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that in January, if he if he either gets carried screaming and kicking out of the white house or if he leaves you know and goes and starts trump news or whatever he does um just because joe biden or somebody else takes the oath of office doesn't mean that america's ills are cured and people need to understand that that this is a again today's a big victory in the past couple of weeks have been big, big victories it is a long and arduous path to make this country anything approaching human and fair and good again and you know, unfortunately, it is um, it's founded in a lot of misery and bloodshed and sacrifice. And, and we just we got to keep our eyes on the prize. The, the only problem I have is that, you know, Biden is not that guy who is going to spearhead a radical, re, you know, tearing down of the police system we have now. And which is I would argue that people I think a lot of people would agree that that's what we need to do. And he's not that guy. He is going to just play lip service to, you know, some reforms and pass a couple of things here and put some, you know, lipstick on it. But uh, that's the problem. Is he's not that guy. So we're already talking about four years until or whatever he's done before we can really get into the meat and bones of, uh, you know, uh, reform and change. So we're getting late in the podcast. So this is the point where we can get deep in the weeds about something and just sort of, uh, you know, intangible. Yeah. There is a part of me that actually gains a little bit of hope from that because we've talked about it about these protests in this movement one of the reasons it is so successful is because there's not necessarily a figurehead it's just sort of spontaneous and everywhere all at once right again it's grassroots bottom up if biden gets in and if this movement or whatever you want to call it continues It'll be a counterbalance. And because what's happened is Democrats and Democratic leaders have always defined what the left was when, in fact, they're mostly center left or centrist. Right. I mean, there's a couple of liberals out there who like pull it farther left. 
maybe the movement is the counterbalance to, you know, someone yeah. like a Biden or, or a traditional Democrat. So maybe all of a sudden the Overton window or the spectrum starts moving a little bit. And who knows? I mean, movements birth leaders. We, we don't even know. There might be people right now who are already considering running for Congress or the Senate or the presidency eventually someday out of this. Because people, in moments of, of great upheaval, what you end up finding is you, have, you find leaders like Martin Luther King or John Lewis, right? All of a sudden you start realizing that you are putting through a trial of fire the leaders of tomorrow. So I, I, there's hope there, but there's also a fear that goes to what you were just saying, which is if all of a sudden it becomes, you did it, we won, the struggle is over, everything's fine, that doesn't do anything. Right. That actually just puts like the stamp of history on it. And then we move forward and the problems just continue, which they can't. They just well, yeah. Can't. But there were other candidates where we could have said it's, you know, we won and this is great. And we are now going to go on a, a path that's going to really, you know, radically change the policies that need to be changed. Biden is not that guy. And I, and I was even arguing, well, OK, let's just get him in there. We'll have the way station in between the Trump and then the, radi the radical change we need. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen that these leaders in the past has always felt like they need to be radical just to barely inch it forward a little bit. And we don't have that even at this point. So that's that's the concern. I would make an argument here because. One of the problems that we've had in modern American history is we just assume that every presidency is a major presidency. You know what I mean? It's like every new president is going to define the new era. And yeah. actually, we um, the presidency is, is littered with people who either played a minor role or were sort of forgetful, right? That you sit down, you try and name all the presidents, and you get to like, I don't know, 30. And you're like, oh, shit, there's a bunch more, right? So could he be that? He could. But there's another thing that could happen here, too. Nobody thought when Lyndon Baines Johnson took the presidency that he was suddenly going to be the champion of civil rights. Nobody thought that he was going to spearhead like one of the greatest progressive uh, uh, experiments in American history. Now, could Biden do that? I don't know. I really don't. I know that he knows literally everybody who has ever served in the history of the Senate and Congress. So could he be a great deal maker or a bridge I don't know. He possibly could be. And, you know, LBJ went into office as like a Southern Democrat and he came out as a long haired hippie who lectured on his porch about civil rights and progressivism. So I don't think we know yet, but there, there there's hope there. And God knows we got we got to get this asshole out. Mm hmm. Well, it's funny that you bring up LBJ and his long hair as he kind of did a Howard Hughes on us by the end of his, uh, his life. Um, I, does that let us start talking about the dementia that we're now seeing in clear sight with uh, Trump? Because I've been can, can I just say I'm glad I'm glad people are talking about it finally? Yeah. Well, I, I've been, you know, showing a lot because I'm in the biomechanics. I'm talking about, you know, talking about basketball stuff. And you can you can see in his movement pattern how bad it is. And, uh, you know, if you if you weren't on social media at all this weekend and didn't notice, you know, they had his speech, um, you know, where he drug everybody from um, to graduate from uh, from um, Citadel, not Citadel, from West, um, West Point. Sorry. West Point. And um, he first of all, he couldn't drink a glass of water with his right hand. Um, and these are these are red flag, you know, sirens blaring kind of stuff. Uh, and then for him to get down a ramp. Uh, which then, of course, they cut to uh, Biden two years before, just you know, running up the ramp, no problem at all, like a spry chicken. Um, it's he's got he's not well. Now we also remember six months ago, 
although it seems like a year and a half ago, he was rushed to Walter Reed, and they never explained what that was about. And so there's lots, all sorts of stuff. And hey, listen, the armchair psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever neurologists are out there want to talk about dementia or whatever, uh, syphilis even, um, stroke. You know, stroke kind of feels like maybe that's sort of what happened, maybe. But either way, um, this is the problem. Is uh, we saw this in a West Wing episode where there was extreme legal ramifications for people that knew about the ailment and hid it, and. I think people might argue that, let's just say he has whatever he has, uh, the, the circle of people that know this is probably pretty small, I would think, but I don't know, it's pretty loose, undisciplined in there. I, 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 would be surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if it was over a dozen people that knew this, uh, including you know the family. And um, now I'm not even sure though what kind of legal ramifications there are, but it seems like that would open up a whole Pandora's box where uh, the 25th Amendment needed to have been invoked and they didn't do it. Real fast, so much of the reason why people are afraid to talk about this is because Donald Trump and the alt-right and right-wing conspiracy theorists were you know, saying left and right that Hillary Clinton was mentally and physically unwell, right? And which is what they do. They poison the well so you can't actually talk about it, right? They, they throw it out there and they're like, oh, this is crazy, and all of a sudden you sound crazy if you talk about it. Real fast, there's historical precedent in this. Everybody knows about FDR, uh, obviously, you know, having to use a wheelchair. Uh, also, John F. Kennedy, if you weren't aware, was physically debilitated uh, and, and was on a ton of drugs because he was just racked in pain constantly. The third part of that that most people don't know that I didn't know until I was doing research on my book is that Woodrow Wilson, after he had a stroke, was debilitated completely and that his wife took over as president of the United States. So, which is a weird, weird moment in American history that most people don't know about. There's precedent for stuff like this. Wait, well, don't um, overlook uh, Eisenhower had a stroke as well. And Nixon, I think, pretty much ran the country the last year and a half of, his, of that presidency, too. Well, I mean, Nixon ran the, pre ran the presidency for the remainder of his presidency in an alcoholic haze ordering nuclear strikes that, oh, you right. know, that basically, uh, well, not basically, I mean, his entire administration had to ignore in small, silent coups. Um, who know? I, I, I don't know. Trump looks bad. Trump looks really, really bad. And I know that when, when he has a problem or an insecurity, he projects it on everybody else. He's a criminal. He calls everyone else a criminal. Um, you know, he's weak. He calls everybody else weak. Um, and apparently he's sick and he calls everyone else sick. Um, I know that I'm glad that finally the Washington Post and the New York Times are finally broaching the subject that we've all seen that this is a person who is unwell. It's just yet another reason to get them out. It just is. And, and you know, like, there are plenty of people who have had strokes or have suffered maladies who it doesn't mean that they're not worthy and they're not good people or maybe they wouldn't even be good leaders. It's the fact that this person has to lie about it. You know what I mean? Like, we cannot be trusted to be honest. Matter of fact, if he came out tomorrow and said, I had, I had a stroke or something went wrong with me, his numbers might even jump. You know, what I mean, just to have a moment of like humanness to him. But it's the fact that he can't even be honest about what's going on in his life. We can't trust him to be square with us. And on top of that, we're not the only ones talking about this. Every other country in the world is having meetings about the fact that he's unwell. Like it's not there. It's not even a question. We're sitting here sort of like, you know, wringing our hands. Don't really want to talk about it that much. Everywhere else in the world, they're strategizing based on the right. fact that the president of the United States is unwell.
And well, he made the mistake of tweeting about it. So he now extended the <sighs> conversation. And by the way, he basically now has opened it up for questions. And if they don't ask that, it's the first freaking question when they, when he's, whenever that happens next. It, it'll be outrageous. And basically, it's something to the notion of, uh, Mr. President, do, do the American people need to know anything about your health that you are not telling us? Like something like that would need to be the question. Now, he's going to lie, but that's okay because when it does come out, that's when the congressional hearing is going to start happening and you can start holding people accountable eventually. And if you get them on the record as lying, then they, they acknowledge that they, that they knew it was wrong. And that they shouldn't have been, you know, they, 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 that that was, a, you know, the truth was, was something that would have made them look even worse. So, yes. So, so this, this is the thing that he tweeted. And this is the thing that we have to talk about all the time because it's one of the defining things about Donald Trump. So here's the tweet after he, which, by the way, if you watch him going down the ramp, it's not that crazy. I mean, he struggles and he's obviously a little afraid of it because obviously it's documented he's afraid of stairs. Um, he, he tweets out completely out of nowhere in, in, in the night without any provocation. No one's talking about that ramp. Nobody, Nick. Nobody has made like a really big deal out of it. Everyone's talking about the water, the, the weird way they drink Okay, water. fair enough. Yeah. So he says, the ramp that I descended after my West Point commencement speech was very long and steep, had no handrail, and most importantly, it was very slippery. The last thing I was going to do is fall for the fake news to have fun with. Final 10 feet, I ran down the level ground. Momentum. Can we just talk very quickly <laughs> about how pathetic he is? He's pathetic. He's an insecure, pathetic, pitiable person, which is the who he is. It's who these fascists are. They're just really sad pathetic men who have to pretend like they're tough they can't show weakness and that's that's what's wrong with this person he he overcompensates he has no ability to have empathy for anybody else and it's all because he's just a shell of a person who's terrified of being exposed period yes that's well said um and you know even when just really quickly to tie that up when he started it was a, it was a specific day all of a sudden out of the blue when they were running when he was running for president he started to talk about hillary saying uh she didn't have the stamina Right. It was just a weird phrasing and whatever. And it, just, it was like, did they focus test this and how did they come out? And like you said, it's generally a uh, projection. But um, it was very it was it never really made sense to me, almost to the point where, yeah, did they break in to her doctor's office, get some sort of files? Couldn't quite acknowledge exactly, but then wanted to plant that seed. And that's where they were. Is he projecting because he knows it's him? But he's but he has stamina because he just takes a lot of Adderall. I, I mean, I don't know. So, so unfortunately, at that time, um, I was uh, listening to a lot of Alex Jones and paranoid right-wing podcast oh, yeah. and video cast. So one thing that people need to understand, and we can talk about this a lot more, particularly as events transpire. I mean, leading up to November, we're going to talk about this. They focus test it there. Because, you know, Alex Jones wasn't afraid to do that. He was like, oh, Hillary Clinton's dying. And she, uh, her brain fell out the other day. And she's still walking around because she's Satan's bride. And it worked. It picked up a ton of traffic. And so what the right wing, particularly the Republican Party, does, they try it out in the conspiracy realm. And when it works, they buff it up and they move it up the line. This is how they end up using the New World Order, the deep state, all that stuff. They try it out there. If it works, if it plays, they go forward. So that's where that thing came from. Right. Although, I mean, listen, I just don't trust any of that. I feel like it could also have come from the knowledge. They might have done... You know, we know that LBJ broke into JFK's doctor's office looking for the Addison's disease uh, evidence. You know, ironically, they became, you know, partners on the ticket. But uh, that's how, you know, I think that's the other thing is not to start a whole new conversation at the end of this podcast. But, you know, I think that people might have a, a, an image of politics 
in the past as being something a lot more noble than it really was. No. And I, it, it's never been. And uh, even from the very beginning, and we saw, and like, even if you go see Hamilton, you get the idea of how bad it was then. And so this, none of this should be surprising. That's the other problem is how we're founded, how this works. It's actually kind of, a, it's kind of amazing that this experiment is lasted as long as it has well. and gotten anything done. It's shocking. And, and going back to the story that I was telling earlier about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, like the Constitution was ratified and America was founded and everyone's just like, let's never have political parties. Let's just all get along and do what's best, which, by the way, was so that the wealthy and the elite would just share power. If they fought against themselves, their power might eventually fall apart, which is what happened. It, 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 took, it took one presidency, Nick, one presidency and then the next it was just like i am striking down the constitution i will spite my or i will smite my enemies i mean like it's it's people have been accused of being bigamous they've been accused of being murderers they've been accused of everything traitors everything under the sun the the history of america is not as noble as what we've been taught and you you hit the nail on the head it's been a problem and it's been a problem for a long time which brings us back around to the point you can get rid of trump but it doesn't make everything better it gets a madman out of the office and we can actually start doing some of the hard work and hopefully the fever will break. But no, this this thing's been going on for a long time. Are we going to win the Senate? I think there's a real possibility that they win the Senate. Yeah, and I shouldn't say we, the royal we. Um, you do, okay. I mean, that's the other thing is it's like, and, and, I, and listen, I love the idea of balance of power and having like, you know, Democrat in the White House and then the Republican Senate or whatever. That, that seemed to always give us some moments where there was balance and we can get some things with compromise, but uh, not anymore. Drive, drive the Republican Party into the sea. It needs to go away. And again, maybe, that, maybe that's a complete raising. You get rid of it, you start a new party. I mean, the Federalists went away, right? The Whigs went away. Maybe they go away because they've reached a terminal point. Or, you know, grassroots changes it from the outside in. I would love to be having these fights with the Project Lincoln people and the Never Trump Republicans. I would love it if we could get back to having fights about uh, taxes, although they would have to get rid of the racist dog whistles that they've been using their entire lives. But that's a subject for another show. All right, everybody. On that note, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. As always, we appreciate you like crazy. Um, this show is growing by leaps and bounds. We couldn't do it without you. If you want to support us, uh, all you need to do, go like, subscribe, share, comment, all that stuff. Just tell people. Uh, I, I have to tell you, I've been noticing a lot lately people just saying, hey, I'm telling my friends that this is one of the few podcasts that you can go to for actual decent conversation. We appreciate it. We're so, so thankful this thing is growing like crazy. So thank you for your part in that. As always, outside of this, if you want to follow Nick, you can find him at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Sexton. We'll be back hopefully on Friday. Hopefully no emergency podcast. Fingers crossed. Hopefully we can keep having some victories. Until next time, enjoy this one and uh, stay safe. Stay safe.